Father, that is our heart's cry this morning. Father, I need you. Lord, I need you. Not just here in this moment, but when we leave this place, when we're at work, when we're with our families, every hour, every day, we need you. God, right now in this place, fill this place up with your Holy Spirit. Let your word go forth. Prepare our hearts to hear what you have to say this morning in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, we are in the second part of our series that we're calling Surrender. And the thrust of this series really centers on the life or the story of Jonah. And everybody here is at least somewhat familiar with the story of Jonah. I mean, if you just ask any kid about Jonah, they'll say, well, it's not really just a story of Jonah, but it's a story of Jonah and the whale, right? But as we started off last time and started to take a little closer look at the story of Jonah, we began to realize that the story is not so much about a whale or a great fish or about the sea or the storm that hit, but really the story is all about a man who was running from God. And that's what makes his story your story. That's what makes his story my story. Because there's a point in your life and there's a point in my life, maybe more than once, when we run from God. And by running, I simply mean you know what God would have you do in a given situation. You know the direction that God would have you go, but you're just kind of pushing God to the side because you want to go your way, not God's way. You want your will to be done, not God's will. For some of you who are here this morning, maybe it's that you've never taken that initial step to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you've got your reasons. Or better yet, maybe you've got your questions and you're just kind of holding God at bay until you get some of those questions answered. Or maybe it's even more personal than that, until you're able to feel like you can forgive God because you're angry with him. God didn't come through for you at a time when you needed him and you suffered or someone close to you suffered and that is just right there and you haven't been able to address that and sure you'd say in trying to understand the universe and all that happens, there has to be a God out there somewhere but you just haven't given in to him yet and you're running. Or for most of us, most of us in, in this room, you'd call yourself a Christian You'd say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but the truth is there's just that one area of your life. Maybe nobody knows about it. There's that one point of your life where, you, where you've said, God, you can have everything else in my life, but this is mine. Hands off, God. Stay over there. This part is all for me. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your thought life. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's gossip, maybe it's envy. I don't know what it is, but this morning, you're not singing the song, I Surrender All. You're singing a new verse to that song. You're singing, I Surrender Most of Me, right? I mean, which really isn't even surrender at all. But that's gonna have to do because for now, you're running. But the scary part is that you know this can't last. You know that eventually it's gonna come to an end and it won't be pretty. That as you look at your life and maybe the way things are headed, you know in your heart of hearts that you can't run forever. Eventually, as we kind of saw last week, eventually the chaos that you've created is eventually going to collapse down on you. The chaos that you've created for your parents or your family, your, your wife, your husband, your friends, those who are close to you. Because as we saw last week, and it was kind of a, kind of a sobering thought, the runner is oftentimes not the one who suffers most from his running. It's the one who are closest to him. 
And when you're all alone at night, when it's just kind of you and you, you know that eventually one day you're going to have to wave the white flag. You know that eventually you're going to have to surrender. But you think, maybe I can wait just a little bit longer. Maybe I can juggle just a little longer. Maybe I can run just a little bit longer. For some of you, maybe this is true of you, you've planned the day when you'll stop running. You've thought, okay, I will stop running when I get married. I'll stop running when I have kids. I mean, that seems like a really good time. I wouldn't want my kids to see what I've been doing. So when I have kids, that's when I'll stop running. For some of you, maybe it's not even that far out, right? You're not thinking that far away. You're thinking, I will stop running after spring break, right? I mean, because you've got some spring break plans, and and you're not going to ask God to bless those, but you just want to kind of do that thing, and after spring break, you'll stop running, right? But you just don't want to miss out, so you're just going to wait. Because you know you just can't keep running forever. You've even planned the day of your surrender because in your heart of hearts you know. Same thing Jonah found out last time. You can run from God, but you can't outrun God. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Jonah. If you brought it, go about halfway through and go a little further. If you hit the Gospels, you've gone too far. If you hit Matthew, Mark, Luke, go back a few pages. We're going to be in the book of Jonah. And here's how Scripture described the moment when Jonah came face to face with God while he was running. Here's what it says. Jonah chapter 1, and we'll go down to verse 17. Last verse of Jonah 1. Reads like this. It says, Now the Lord provided. If you've got your Bible and you have a pen, maybe circle that word provided. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. That word provided, maybe in your Bible it says appointed, but that word really could be translated commissioned. It was a governing word. It was what a king would do if he was going to appoint an ambassador or a messenger. And it's something that you always would do to a person, but here in just the odd nature of this story, it's used for a fish. And the picture, try to picture it, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like God saying, hey, fish. The fish saying, yes, Lord. God saying, I've got a job for you. Go pick up Jonah. Directions will be given on a need-to-know basis. This is important. Swallow, do not chew. God says, I'll tell you where to drop him off. The fish says, okay, Lord, and God appoints the fish. It's really an odd story. In the next verse, we saw this. This is where we ended last week. The next verse is so wonderful. Jonah 2, verse 1, and it's what we all would have done from Inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And as we said last time, I bet he did, right? I mean, that's where we left Jonah last time. Jonah had run from God, but he had realized he couldn't outrun God. And I think as Jonah was eyeball to eyeball with the great fish, that Jonah realized, yeah, I think this is the finish line. This is where my running from God has to stop. Last time we called them those then the Lord or now the Lord moments where God shows up in your life and you've probably had a few where it's undeniably that God is intervening. It's unmistakable to you that God has shown up to get your attention. Where maybe where you're found out, maybe when it's suddenly crystal clear to you that I've been running, but I can't outrun God. And in those moments, I think we all have the same thought, the same thing Jonah thought. Maybe I never should have run 
in the first place. And Jonah has this thought in the belly of a fish. I want to pause here for just a second. And I want to talk about something that I think is, is pretty serious. Because of the nature of this story, some thoughtful people, and I've spoken to some recently, will come up and kind of say this, and it's always kind of in a whispery term, like tone, but they'll say, I don't know if it's okay to say this, especially in a church or, you know, to kind of like a pastor, but if I'm just going to be truthful, the idea of a fish swallowing someone and having that guy live inside the fish for a few days, that's, that's kind of hard to believe. So I want to talk just for a second to everybody who maybe is having that kind of a thought this morning. The first thing I want to say to you is I am so glad you are here. Because at Living Church, we want to be the kind of church where nobody ever has to pretend to believe anything. Where we can just be honest about what we really think, about what we really believe, not what we're supposed to think or believe, because what we really think and believe is what matters to God. It's what matters to us. And we want to be the kind of community that thoughtfully looks at Scripture. I can remember, because I grew up in church, and I would hear these rumors, like when it, when it comes to this story, of scientists who said they had found the actual, like an actual type of fish in which a man could live in for three days. That's kind of a defense of this book. And I always thought, why didn't they take their findings a step further and try to live in the fish for a few days and see if it really worked? But it was kind of a defense of, of this book as to whether or not this kind of fish actually existed. And while that's really interesting, I think in the grand scheme of things, it misses the point. Because the point of Jonah is not that there really is a fish in which a human being could survive for a few days. That's not the point. The point is it would take a miracle. And the real question is this. Are miracles possible? Because at the heart of our faith, at the heart of the Christian faith, is this claim. There is a God. And he is an all-powerful God. And he raised Jesus from the dead. That happened in history. And God has revealed himself uniquely in Scripture. So to God, nothing is impossible. I mean, if God can raise Jesus from the dead, I think he could keep a guy in storage in a fish for a few days. That's not a big deal for God. But still, the believability of this story is where some of us get hung up a little bit. I get that. So if you were here last time, we began this series by kind of giving you an out. We said if the story of a man who was swallowed by a great fish is too much for you to swallow, that we get that. In fact, if I'm just laying all my cards out on the table this morning, for all of us here who are followers of Jesus Christ, I think we come at stories like this with a huge advantage over those who aren't yet followers. I mean, we have the spirit of the living God living within us. And not only do we have new life in him, but spiritually speaking, we've been given new eyes to see. We have new ears to hear. And if you're not a follower of Christ, you just don't have that. Not yet. So you're at a horrible disadvantage when it comes to stories like this. So what we did last week was simply say, we don't expect you, those who are just kind of trying things out, thinking about a relationship with Jesus, but you haven't dove in yet, we said we don't expect you to so readily accept a story that so many of us take as literally true. So here's what we did. We encouraged you that as we dive into the story to kind of just put that issue aside because if you don't do that, you'll miss the great liberating truth that honestly has so little to do with whether or not a man could live in a fish 
or not. And listen, this is just such an, an, an important point, and we'll kind of move on. For those of us who are believers, I believe we serve a God who has been incredibly patient with us. And I believe he calls us and implores us to be just as patient with those who don't share our faith yet. The stakes are so high. So while I take this story literally as it literally happened, and as we saw last week, Jesus took this story to be literally true. He even compared a part of his life, the end of his life, to the life of Jonah. If you think this is just too much of a whale of a tale for you, I get that. And I'm just so glad you're here this morning. Now, hopefully you can just put some of those issues aside just for a few minutes and engage in the story. Because the story is fantastic. We saw it last week. And just to kind of bring you up to speed, God calls his prophet Jonah. And that's what Jonah was. He was a prophet. Israel had many priests. But usually, usually, only one prophet at a time. That's all they could stand. God calls his prophet Jonah and calls him to go to Nineveh. And Nineveh was a crazy, horrible, terrible place. I mean, these guys were horrible people. Last week we saw that the Ninevites, what they were known for, they kind of set the world record for being able to skin a person alive and keep that person alive longer than anyone else. And God calls Jonah to go there. And Jonah has the same response that maybe you would have had. He says, yeah, I don't think I want to do that. I don't think I want to go there. So Jonah runs, and he doesn't just run a little ways away. He runs 2,500 miles away. It would be like us running from here to Juneau, Alaska. I mean, the guy just took off. And he runs, and he's in a ship, and, he, and he's in the sea, and the storm of the century hit, and those seasoned sailors are so overwhelmed with the storm, they're certain they're going to die. They each start praying to their own gods. And they go, and they look for Jonah. They want Jonah to kind of join and pray with them. They can't find them. Eventually they find him. He's stuck in the bottom of the boat, taking a nap. They wake Jonah up and they say, the storm, you got to pray. And Jonah says, don't, don't need to pray. You guys got to throw me overboard because God is mad at me because I've been running from him and I think he's so mad at me, he's going to take all of you guys down with me. They don't want to do that because if, if, if Jonah's telling the truth, if, it's, if this God is really the God and he's so mad at Jonah and they do this to his prophet, maybe God will take something out on them too. So they don't want to do that. So they try to, to ready the ship and they're not able to do it. And finally, there's that awkward moment where they decide, maybe we got to do what the guy says. And they reach and they pick up Jonah and they throw Jonah off the boat. And as we saw last week, as Jonah hits the water, immediately as he makes that initial splash, the storm stops. And there was that awkward moment where the sailors who did not want to throw Jonah overboard Look down at Jonah, who's just a few feet off the boat, and his head's kind of bobbing along the water, and he's waving to the guys, and they're thinking, what do we do now? Jonah looks at them. They look at each other. They're not sure what to do, but they don't have too much time to decide because God intervenes in the story. God meets the runner. He meets Jonah through a great fish who swallows him. And as Jonah, I think, goes over the lips and past the gums and comes to a landing spot somewhere inside the fish, we see that Jonah does what each and every one of us would have done in that kind of moment. He prays. He cries out to God. And this is maybe my favorite part of the story, and I don't want us to miss this because I think this is true of all of us. And this is why I didn't want you to miss this, even if you can't buy into every aspect of the story because Jonah states something here that we're going to look at in just a second. Something that I think is just as true today as it was over 2,700 years ago when Jonah lived. It is what people 
all around the world at all times do when they're facing a moment like this. I do it, you do it, all of us, regardless of how often you're in church, regardless of whether or not you could find Jonah in the Bible, even if you can't spell Jonah, we all do exactly what Jonah did. All of us have pretty much the same response when calamity strikes, when fear sets in and we know we can't fix it, we know we can't make it out on our own no matter how hard we try. When our back's against the wall, we respond just like Jonah. Look at Jonah, chapter two, verse two. Here's what Jonah did. It starts this way. In my distress, I called to the Lord. Isn't it true that for some of you, the first time you prayed in a long, long time was in your distress? The moment you were found out. The moment your parents found something and they had a few questions. The moment your spouse found those texts. The moments the collectors started calling. And in your distress, it really didn't matter what you had believed about God before that moment. It really didn't matter how you had justified your actions, but in your distress, you called to the Lord. Isn't that amazing? When suddenly you were broken, you were found out, and you had no place left to turn, in your distress, you called. In my distress, I called. In our distress, we called out to the Lord. Isn't it amazing how our brokenness or our despair has the power to overcome our intellect or our theology? In my distress, I called to the Lord. This next part is so beautiful. The rest of verse two, Jonah says, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, he thought his life was over. I called for help. And you listened to my cry. From the guts of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to you, Lord, and you answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. And even then, you listened to my cry. Listen, don't miss this. This is the one thing you take away today. This, this is hopefully worth your time. Listen, God listens to the desperate cries of desperate people who are in desperate circumstances of their own making because of their own running from God. God listens even then. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, isn't that some of the best news maybe you've heard in a long time? And the beauty of it is this. You don't deserve that grace, do you? I don't deserve that grace. I mean, I've been running, maybe you've been running and ignoring God, and it's gotten to the point, because we've all kind of been there, where we think, I don't even deserve God to even listen to me. I mean, I'm too embarrassed. I've been going my way. I've been ignoring God. I mean, he answered some prayers. He did some things back then, but I've just kind of ignored that. I've kind of gone my own way. I've gone my own way, and, and I've been running for so long, I'm just too embarrassed to even come back. So there's no way I can turn back to God now. There's no way I can go to him after I've been running for, for so long. It's too hard. It's too embarrassing. Why would God even listen to me after all the failed promises that I've already made? And Jonah says, it's okay. Let me tell you 
about your heavenly father. He listens to the desperate cries of desperate people in desperate circumstances. It is a constant, continual invitation to people who've run so far to come or to come back to their heavenly father and surrender to him. Listen, you have not run too far to come back. God's arm is not too short to save. It's beautiful, isn't it? I like what takes place next in the story. Jonah, this part we're reading here, is kind of his journal of what takes place in the fish. And look at his amazing clarity. Look at the personal pronouns. And where it says you, you can just substitute the word God. Here's here's what Jonah says. He prays, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I'll look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed or whatever the fish had eaten was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But this next part. You've had your then the Lord or now the Lord moments. Here's another moment hopefully you'll have. But you. Life looked hopeless. Things looked over. I saw no way to get out of this one. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, when I thought it was over, I remembered you. I remembered that you're faithful, Lord, even when I'm not. So my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Do you see the clarity, the perspective that Jonah has? Because in Jonah's mind, it was not the sailors who threw him overboard. It wasn't the sea and the storm that had caused so much pain. Do you know who it was? Do you know what, what, what Jonah's saying here? He's saying it was God. Don't miss that. Jonah says, God, you did this to me. You see, in the story, Jonah runs and God retrieves. Not to pay him back, but to bring him back. All the, and that's so important. All the chaos that was going on in Jonah's life was not a punishment from God just for the sake of punishment. God's punishment, God's discipline has a purpose and it's not just to punish you. It's not for the purpose to punish you, but to bring you back. Not to pay you back, but to bring you back. God calls back the runner by any means necessary and I'm not sure about you, but for me, that is a sobering and a wonderful God brings Jonah down to a place of desperation in a fish in the sea. And the brutal truth is that Jonah turns to God because he's got nowhere else to turn. You ever been there? Jonah goes as low as you can go, and in his misery, in his fear, in his despair, do you know who he finds even there? Do you know who he finds in the midst of the chaos? He finds God. The same God who says, I will never leave you or forsake you even when you run. Jonah comes to realize that what looks so bad, hitting bottom, the wind, the storm, getting thrown overboard, for us maybe it's the separation, the illness, the bankruptcy, whatever it is, was actually the best thing that ever happened to him because it brought him back to God and God was still doing great things. 
And as we're going to see, God still had plans for Jonah. That's so important. God still has plans for you, no matter how long you've been running. You see, God is a God of second and third and one millionth chances, and it's never too late for the runner to turn back. Never too late. And it's never too late for God to leverage even your disobedience for his glory. No matter how far you've run, no matter how long you've run, Jonah would say to you, I think God would say to you this morning, come to me, come to me, come back to me. I can still bring beauty from ashes. Just come to me. And Jonah does. And God hears. And Jonah gets delivered. This is a fantastic story. But still, it's an odd book. And what happens next in the story, to me at least, is so goofy. It is so slapstick that I wouldn't even mention it if it wasn't in the Bible. So take a look at it. Go down to verse 10. Jonah 2, verse 10. Here's how this chapter, this part of the story comes to a conclusion. It says, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah on dry ground. Is it just me, or is that a little more detail than what we really need? Right? I mean, this is like the eighth grade version of the story, isn't it? I mean, because if you're doing ministry to eighth graders, you need all the vomit scenes you can get. Right? I mean, if you wonder why the English translators of the Bible didn't choose a more dignified, a more buttoned up, a more churchy word than vomit, it's because in the original inspired text, the Hebrew word is even more graphic. The writer, I think, here is hitting us over the head. The writer wants to make sure that that the reader gets this. God does intervene, but he doesn't intervene in a way that Jonah gets dropped off by an angel and everything, you know, butterflies and all that, rainbows, all that kind of stuff. No, the fish here tossed his cookies. He lost his lunch. He launched the food shuttle. Jonah takes a ride on the regurgitron. I mean, it is a wonderfully and strangely comedic part of the story. See, Jonah ends up on the shore, certainly. Not a tragic figure covered with suffering. Not a heroic figure covered with glory. No, he winds up on the shore a ridiculous figure covered with shrimp cocktail and tuna casserole or whatever it is the great fish had eaten. You see, there's a reason why the writer says this. And the reader, I think, or the reason is so important. All stories can basically be divided in one of two ways. They are either a tragedy, joy loses, hope loses, life loses, or they're a comedy. Joy wins. Life wins. Hope wins. What is Jonah, would you guess? Is Jonah a tragedy or a comedy? It's a comedy. Jonah in the story keeps going down, 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 but these funny things happen all along the way. The prophet of God is told by God to go east. Instead, he goes west. It's kind of strange. A prophet who runs from God. Then, as we saw in the story, a Gentile pagan captain, for crying out loud, calls the man of God to pray. Pagan sailors, who, by the way, in the ancient world, were not noted for their piety. I mean, Fleet Week was not synonymous with revival. They call, they get converted, they call the God of man to prayer. And then Jonah ends up getting vomited onto the shore. You see, one day, I think we will understand that joy wins. And Jonah 
is a joy book. It is comic in the most sublime, transcendent, wonderful sense of that word because there's another character interwoven in every line of this book and maybe you haven't seen him yet. Jonah, as we are told, is from a small town just outside of Nazareth. Remember another prophet who came from a town, Nazareth? Jonah was asleep on a boat in a storm And when everybody else on the boat panicked, they woke Jonah up, and by his actions, the storm is stilled. Does that remind you of anybody else in Scripture? Maybe this will. Jonah's name means the dove. Does anybody else remember someone who went down into the water, came back out of the water, and a dove descended on him? Jesus said at the end of his life that he had one sign, one sign, to give this sorry, tragic world, and he called it the sign of Jonah. He said, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. But the story doesn't end there. Sunday's coming. You see, the message of Jonah is a little foretaste of the victory of Jesus. Jesus, who comes to meet us at our lowest places and says, death loses, sin loses, lost loses, sorrow loses, sadness loses, and joy wins. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O grave, is your sting? Listen, God gets the last laugh. That's the story of Jonah. You see, deliverance is coming. Resurrection is coming. The third day is coming. Jesus is all over this book. It is a great, high, holy comic book, if you will. Death is mocked in this story. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, what if when the resurrection comes one day, and that's our shared hope, when the dead in Christ shall rise, what if in that day, what if when disease and aging when cancer and heart disease, when AIDS and mental illness have all done their worst, and we go down into the grave and then come back up, what if in that day life is so good? What if our healing and redemption are so complete? What if our bodies are so wonderful? What if the community of the saints is so rich? What if our fellowship with God is so sweet going into eternity that we look at one another and say, this is what I was so afraid of? I thought death was so awful. It's nothing at all. It's a joke. It has no power before God. It's just a door to life. That's the book. Jonah hits bottom. And you know who he finds there? He finds God who is willing and able to pull victory from certain defeat. So what do we do now? What do you do if if you're at a low spot, a moment of despair, and you don't see a way out? We're in over our heads. What do we do now? When we're full of despair in our moments of distress, we do the same thing Jonah did. In our distress, we call out to the Lord. Because I think from Jonah, we've discovered that God listens to the desperate cry of desperate people in desperate circumstances of their own making. And God listens and moves even then. We call, he answers, and he comes to our rescue. And he calls us out with a great plan and a purpose. All is not lost. There's hope when he comes. That's the story of Joni. That's why what looks like a tragedy ends up a comedy. And that's your life. 
if you want it. That's the sign of Jonah. Jesus comes to the rescue. He hears the desperate call of desperate people in desperate circumstances. He comes to your rescue if you call. Let's pray to him. Father, we love you. We thank you for for loving us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that there's nowhere we can go that you're not there, that there's nowhere that we've run that is too far. Your arm is never too short to save us. God, give us the strength. Give us the courage, the faith to call out to you. Hear us when we call. Thank you for the truth of your word that, God, when we call, you answer and you come to our rescue. God, hear our call now and rescue us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.